Hey, good morning. I uh, sure hope you're doing well. Uh, good morning to those at Pleasant View. Uh, we love you. Uh, trust worship is going well. And those in the chapel, uh, good morning to you. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of the morning. And thank you for, uh, man, all the excitement about what's happening uh, in this particular body. Um, I'm so pumped about not just this day, Lord, but how this will look for generations, how it will look five years from now when we reflect back on this moment when so many people uh, participate in this first fruits idea. And we'll think back, man, I was a part of that. And as we see the church grow and see children come to you and see VBS numbers swell and, um, and kids camp numbers swell, and we'll think, man, uh, I'm so glad this church took these steps of vision. Not just that, Lord, but the greater vision you've given our church to go deeper and um, we're grateful. We're just a grateful people, Lord. And so it's from that heart this morning we say thank you. I pray as we uh, jump into the word this morning that uh, you placed on my heart, I pray you'd hide me in your cross. And not just me, Lord, but I pray the folks that will listen, they'll hear from your cross as well. And that we'll all understand that you're at work in our hearts and lives. And you're at work in this moment if we allow you to. So uh, have your way, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, last week we learned that scripture will often use this metaphor of running to talk about how life is and how difficult life can actually be, uh, and not just life, but actually following Christ. And, and the reasons that our Bible uh, uses this metaphor of running is because of what you know about your life right now and what I know about my life, and that is this. Life is filled with celebrations and smiles and parties and birthdays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all those kinds of things, and those are amazing. But here's the other thing we know about life. Life can be pretty tough. Life is really, really hard sometimes, and that's unfortunate. Sometimes we all gather together that we forget to mention that. <laughs> hey, life can be very tough, and, 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 and like running, it is very normal to sometimes think about quitting things in life. That's kind of a normal experience that we all enjoy, quitting things we value, not just quitting Jesus. I mean, not just that. There is that element that we all sort of think about, well, I'm going to stop this, but it's true for anything we value. It's like marriage. Uh, parenting, being a teenager, relationships. How about this, loving anybody because uh, you know it's going to hurt? Purity, sobriety, following a calling, or maybe living on mission, or forgiving someone who hurts you, or living generously. All these things are very easy for all of us in this room to quit because it becomes difficult. And so if we spent some time together and we had a conversation, probably you and I would be able to identify something that we would say, you know what, that one right there, Tom, that's the one I feel like bailing on right now. That's the one that's difficult for me. And so last week we met this group of people through Scripture who lived several hundred years ago. And as strange as, as this is, what they were dealing with is actually very similar to what we're dealing with in this day. And, and that's, that, that's the miracle of Scripture, I think. But the book of Hebrews is written to this group of people a lot like us for two reasons. One... They, they were into Jesus. They loved Jesus. They loved God. This kind of what they were raised in, and it was part of their identity. It's part of their worldview, how they saw things. They loved his teachings. They loved what he said. They loved the idea of grace and mercy, and, and we all get that. In fact, many of us are probably back in church today because we want our children to have that same exposure that we had back in the day. But here's the second area that we found we could all relate to. The people in Hebrews loved Jesus, but they were also very confused by some of the things that Jesus said. And they weren't afraid to say it. There were some things that Jesus said that, to be quite honest, were difficult to swallow. They were hard for people to understand and to hear. Because 
since they'd followed Jesus, it hadn't resulted in their lives being easier. It actually had produced their lives, making their lives more difficult. Uh, since following Jesus, you know, they were actually found themselves under more persecution and more difficulties, more, more stress in their lives. And, and the abundant life that Jesus spoke about didn't sound like the church gathering, the people that were gathered together. And to be honest, they felt like some of us sort of feel like this morning, I bet. You know, either God's lost track of me or God doesn't care. And as a result of this disconnect between what Jesus said in the word and said as his teachings and their circumstances, these people, they were thinking about quitting the whole Jesus thing. Let's just, let's go back. Maybe we got duped. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe the whole thing's a sham. And so this little book in the New Testament was ri- basically written to people that were frustrated with life, or if you will, frustrated runners. And, and the writer of this book has one timely purpose, I think, for our culture, and it's this. The writer of the book has one purpose, and it's to show the kind of faith required for the life of Christianity. And the way we discover that is through this person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews said it like this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, in other words, faith isn't some mamby-pamby, pie-in-the-sky, cotton candy, karma, yin and yang thing. Faith is not, you know, wish and blow at the candle, save a four-leaf clover, break the wishbone, um, you know, uh, cross your fingers, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye, whichever that is. That's just gross. But, you know, faith isn't any of those things. And faith isn't, if I do this, God's going to do this, because this, God's my puppet. That's not what faith is. If you bought into that, you're going to be disappointed somewhere along the way. It's not a formula. Faith isn't, I do the spiritual hokey pokey and God takes care of me and all my children forever and ever, amen. That's not faith, guys. And if that's your version of it, you will be disappointed, I promise. Faith isn't a way to figure out the answers to the universe. Again, this will disappoint you if that's what you're into faith for. Jesus said to people that followed him, he said these words, I've told you these things so that in me you can have peace. Well, why would I need peace? Well, Jesus said, pay attention. In the world, you're going to have some trouble. Listen, brothers, sister, listen. You will have trouble even as people of faith. You will. But you can also have peace. Well, how can I have peace in trouble? Take heart. Because I've overcome the world. And what I wrestle with in this verse are the same things you wrestle with, and you see it in my life, and respectfully, I see it in your life, and it's the ideas of peace and trouble running parallel. How, do you, how in the world do you have peace when you've just gone through the diagnosis, or have peace when you've got conflict with people that said they love you, or if you have peace when you're fighting an addiction, how does that happen, or peace when you're grieving, how does that happen? Because I want to know what that's all about, because my experience is often different than peace and trouble. Is this fair? See, faith involves certainty and assurance, not simplicity and predictability. Those are not the same things. Faith isn't to prevent crisis in our lives. That's not what this is. Hear me, because that's why some of us are engaged with this. If I can be a person of faith, then I will not have crisis. Wrong. Nothing close to that in Scripture. And so when you hit crisis, you think, well, my faith just lost its training wheels. No, you had a misunderstanding of what faith was to begin with. Faith isn't trying to prevent crisis. Faith is to be applied when we can't figure out life when we're actually in the crisis. 
Faith is this, just made a little tweak to what our definition of alive is. Faith is still living with the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he'll do everything he promises to do. That's what faith is. Who is God? Well, he's a redeemer. That's who he said he is. He's good. He's a heavenly father. He says he's your heavenly father. You are his adopted children, sons and daughters. He's a forgiver. He's the inventor of grace and the extender of mercy. He is sacrifice. He's unconditional love. He invented that. He is just. What are the promises? Well, the big one is he's crazy nuts in love with you. You, but not just because you're in church, but you before you ever got here. Even before you turned your head toward Jesus, he was in love with you. He's, he, he, he's promised to never leave you. He's promised to never abandon you, ever, even when you've abandoned him. He promises that the trial you face won't crush you. He promises you that. And so the writer of Hebrews, who's talking about this whole idea of running in faith, calls us to faith and communicates faith is difficult, and he writes these words. Hebrews 11, faith is being sure of what you hope for. Here's some people that have done it. Then he says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those names listed in Hebrews 11, 1, or Hebrews 11, let's throw off everything that hinders In other words, let's throw off, because we're surrounded by people that have been faithful in their following, let's throw off everything that hinders, everything that weighs us down, and the sins that so easily entangles. And then let's set our jaws. Let's just run with perseverance. Not a faith marked on circumstances. (laughs) That if my life is good, I'm going to be a Christian. My life is terrible, I'm going to reject God. Let's not do that, he says. Let's just run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, this is a me too community, and we're trying to get the. So your life is jacked up, and I say this almost every week. Why? Because almost every week, someone will come out the door and they'll say, You know, Tom, I'm not sure I belong here. And let me tell you something if that's the way you feel, uh, respectfully, you're wrong. And I don't know how to say this in a nice way, and I'm not even sure I should say this, but if you think you're crazy, come spend some time with me. I can show you real crazy, okay? We have some real things going on. Your life's jacked up. You, you me too. You have a messed up family? Not me, but I know some people who have one. You know what I'm saying? You can't say that, you know, because it's recorded. But you have, a, you have an uncle everybody avoids? Yeah, I get that. You have hit a rough patch in a relationship? Yeah, me too. Your kids are distanced from you? Your kids won't talk to you? Yeah, I get that. You're fighting an addiction? You're not alone in that. You have a private behavior? You're not alone. You've been diagnosed with a disease and it scares you to death? You are not alone. You feel depressed, you're anxious, you have doubts, you're critical, you're judgmental, you feel lonely. Yeah, me too. That's what the body of Christ is. And if anybody here tells you anything other than that, they're wrong. This is kind of what this community is. It's kind of the community this church seeks to be. You see, here's the reality. Here's the thing about biblical faith. Biblical faith never requires you to deny reality, ever. And so you don't have to come in here and put on some plastic clothes to pretend you're a follower of Jesus. It's disgusting. Nobody likes that. This is actually the place where you can be real. And if you can be real, maybe God can change us. But if we're going to continue to live plastic lives, how's God ever going to deal with that? Me too. And then the verse says, everything that hinders, it's literally translated everything that weighs you down. (laughs) I spent a lot of time on that this week. I don't know why, for some of us in the room, it's the past. This whole Me Too conversation, you hear it, but it's hard for you to buy into because you feel like you've had to hide your past forever. And then you come to church like this, and people actually put their past on the walls during worship. 
people express that in testimony, baptism. People carry their past all the time. and You don't have to do that. For others, it's expectations that other people will put on you. Or maybe for some of you, it's expectations you've put on yourself that basically are unfair. They're perfectionistic or idealistic and not going to be real. Or maybe it's fear. The fear is, I'll never be fully loved if I'm fully known. So we don't deal with it and we sort of trip our way through life. And then sometimes people get into this rut that following Jesus is all about the things I stopped doing. I, was kind of, I kind of was brought up in a church like that. Where or the pastors seemed to like their primary messages were, here are the things I've required this week that I stopped doing for everybody who loves Jesus. <laughs> you know, don't play with those. Don't go to that. You know, don't do this. Don't listen to that music. You know, people kind of have that idea that this is what it means to follow Jesus, which is nowhere again in, in Scripture. But following Jesus isn't about the stuff we stopped doing. Because that's just bondage. That's what that is. So, so, so it's not just about that. Let, let me illustrate this for you. If you decided in this moment that you should start running for, for like fitness. Some of you have a heart palpitation right now because I just said that. You know, it's, it's, it's an illustration. It's an illustration. You decide you're going to start running for fitness. So it's not just about what you don't do. I mean, you can get rid of some stuff. Some of you have to give up cigarettes. Okay, that'd be smart. If you're going to start running, you know, give those up. Or uh, maybe you have to give up, you know, those three Mountain Dews and dozen Krispy Kremes before you go to bed. You know, maybe you have to give up those things. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you could actually sit at home and watch some TV shows about running. That'd be kind of cool, you know, while eating Doritos. You know, that would be an awesome thing to kind of begin doing. Or, or how about this? You could download the app from the couch to 5K. You could do that, and that's a great app that would help you get started. Maybe, maybe you head down to God a Run store and you get some gear. You get some nice shoes, maybe a heart monitor. For some of you, I'd highly recommend that. You know, um, a, a camel pack. If you're not familiar, it's kind of this bag that sits on your back. and has a straw so you can just suck on water whenever you want to. You don't have to stop and you look really cool. And then there's like, you can get some sleek sunglasses down there to sort of cut down on the wind resistance when you're busting through, you know. Some of you, you can get spandex so we can remove any need for imagination when people see you. And um, Maybe to get, you get some of those pre-workout drinks, you know, to sort of prepare you for the run. You could do all those things. But here's the thing. None of those things are going to make you a runner. None of them. None of those things make you a runner. The only thing that makes you a runner, this is going to blow your mind, is when you head out the front door and you're ready, start running. That's where it begins. I know. I'm going to give you a moment to catch up because I know that was absolutely amazing thought. Interestingly enough, this is what Hebrews says. They just say it better than I just did. Therefore, since we run, we're, uh, by such, or since we run, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sins that easily entangles. And watch this. And let us run. Run. Run the race. How? Don't you quit. Run it with perseverance, the race that's marked out for you. Marked out for us. Run. Now, let me tell you how this plays out, just to continue in the illustration of the morning. Some of you, your pastor is getting ready to give you one of the greatest gifts of your life. You should be a note taker right now. Let me just tell you, if you have not run for a while, allow your pastor to prevent some hurt and pain in your life. Just because you ran in high school or college does not mean you can run today. You cannot. I know you think you can, especially we men. I know we think we can. Here's the reality. You can't. 
No, your children aren't faster than you. You and I are just fat. That's what happened, okay? We just, we just got out of shape. That's what happened along the way. We're not the same person, and I'll tell you how this plays out. We go and we strap on our brand new shoes, and we put on our brand new spandex, and we put on our camel pack, and we put on our sunglasses, and, and all these incredible things, because by golly, we're worth the investment, right? And so we do all these kinds of things. There's no price on health. And so then we head out the door in our brand new spandex and camel pack. And as you begin, the first thing you notice is you didn't put the cap on the camel pack. And what's going to happen is that water is going to run down your back and in other areas, and it's going to feel incredibly awkward as you try to figure out how to run. I'm telling you the truth. You all should all be writing this down. This is brilliant. And so that's what's going to happen with your little thing. And then, and then as you go on for the next quarter mile, you're, not, you're going to be able to get your mind off the spandex because nobody told you that stuff chafes, okay? And you're going to feel that. That's what's going to, and then you're going to wonder, am I passing anybody from church today? You know, that's all going to be in your brain as you're trying to run in the first quarter mile. And then you're going to go to the first half mile listening to your body tell you about everything that is absolutely excruciating pain right now. You will hurt in places you didn't know you had hips and knees and ankles and feet and palms. Palms? Yes, because you've already fallen twice, okay? That's why your palms hurt. Those fancy sunglasses that you bought are going to be giving you blisters right here behind the ears because they're too, too, too tight. And after a mile, you're going to find yourself throwing up your pre-run drink in your neighbor's flower bed. And the voices shouting at you are going to be like this. Would you go home and stop it? Stop running. This is way too hard for your old body. You're a fool. You were made for Doritos and Krispy Kremes. She should love you for who you really are. I think you have just heard an exceptional picture of what it means to follow God. See, we get used to coming to a place like this. We learn the songs. We might have even got baptized. We volunteer. We join a small group. We download the app. Maybe we get a Bible. Maybe we get a church t-shirt and a decal for the car. And then a day comes when you hit the wall. And the voices will start in your head, usually about Tuesday. I feel forgiven on Sunday, but on Tuesday, I feel dirty. Maybe I'm not forgiven. I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm challenged by Jesus, but I can't ever be like Jesus. I don't fit here. This isn't who I am. And the people reading the letter called Hebrews felt the exact same way. There's a time to run, but you will hit a wall. So lean in here to verse 2. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, that's a strange word, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand, of the throne of God. See, what the scripture is saying is this. As you get to running and you get to feeling some pain, you think about Jesus as proof of God's love for you and the people in your life. The Bible calls him Alpha and Omega, which is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And what it means is Jesus is the beginning and Jesus is the end. Another way, I think, to think about this Alpha Omega business is this. <laughs> the one who got me into this is the one who's going to get me through this. <laughs> And if you're hitting a wall right now, the one who got you here is the one that's going to get you through this. For the joy, Scripture says. This is the real Jesus, and it blows my mind. For the joy means it is an honor, Jesus said. 
to die on the cross for you. Who, who loves you like that? It's an honor to die on the cross for you. Why? Well, it brings me joy. What? It brings you joy? It, it makes me cheerful to endure this pain and shame for you. And that blows my mind. I could probably spend a lot of time just thinking about that. My question is, how is this helpful to my life? Well, that's what verse 3 is about. It's helpful so that we don't give up when we hit a wall. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. See, God knows how we work, and he knows today is Sunday, but every week has a Tuesday. And we hit a wall. And here's the chewy chocolate center of those verses. This is your reminder of how committed Jesus is to you. I'll put it, I'll just, I'll share it with you here, but I'm going to add the pronoun and put the word here. He, that is God, who did not spare his own son, that's Jesus, but gave Jesus up for us all. How will God not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? How will God not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? What does that mean? Uh, let me give you another illustration. Let's say you need a heart transplant because you tried running, okay? And so now you're going to need a heart transplant. That's what's going to happen. And you've looked high and low. You've been on the donor list and, you know, no luck. But you need a heart transplant and, uh, and things are getting sort of discouraging, but you can't find a heart transplant. You tried Craigslist and eBay. You know, tried all these different places to find one, but you haven't had any luck. And the circumstances are dire for you. I mean, basically, you know, you're toast, and that's, that's going to be a bad thing. And if you don't get that heart, you're not, you're not going to make it. Well, then, somewhere along the way, we find out that my son Thomas has a heart that is an exact match for you. This heart will save your life. And so, we give that heart. Well, then, next week you have another problem. And here's what these verses are saying. If I've given you my son, what would I possibly hold back now? If I gave you Jesus, if I gave you my son, you think because you're hitting a little wall now, I'm going to hold out on you? I gave you the most valuable thing I had. I gave you my highest gift. So of course I'm going to get you through this wall. Of course, I'm going to help you through this. Don't change your life because someone attacks you or has an opinion about your life. Changes aren't so people like you. Changes aren't to make people happy. Changes in our lives happen because we now know Jesus is on our side. And Jesus considered it an honor to die for me. And if that's true, why should we quit on Tuesday? See, faith never rests on feelings. We'll not always understand the whys and hows of this life, but faith leans on one timeless, historical, earth-shattering truth. The ultimate sacrifice was made on a dump outside of Jerusalem. 
where Jesus showed the world the highest kind of love in order that I might have a few, have a new heart. Now, there are a couple of responses, I would say, to what we've been talking about. Some of you are going to say, you know what, I don't believe that. And I get that. I do. I mean, <laughs> you'll say, maybe you say, I don't need that. Maybe you say, I'm angry at God or I blame God. And I get that. I went through that period of my life as well. And we all have had weeks, even months, even seasons where that's how we felt about God. God doesn't explain himself, so he simply, he just simply asks us to trust us and uh, trust him. And that's, that's what the scripture actually says. The scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's what the scriptures say, to trust God. So I was thinking about this verse this week. And I was thinking about some of the people that I know who are going through trial. I was thinking about the recent trials I've been through. And I thought, what if God decided to explain himself to me? What if I knew the whys? Would that help? Would it help? Oh, I'm now good with the diagnosis. Oh, I know, I'm, I'm fine with the tsunami. I'm absolutely great with the shooting. Go ahead. I'm great with the rebellion. I'm fine with them not talking to me. See, my question was, would it change anything if I knew the why? You know what? Listen, it happened. Whatever it was, whatever it is, all we have is this moment. And for this moment right now, you're right here. All your experiences have produced this moment right here, and you're sitting in this auditorium or watching, on, uh, watching this film. You're watching it right now. So here's another question. Maybe instead of why, maybe a question you ought to ask is, why are you still here? Why am I still here? I mean, I had plenty of walls that I didn't feel like going over. I felt like turning around. Plenty of opportunities. Is it possible that God actually still has a reason for you? Is it possible that God has a mission for you? Even though you say in this moment you don't believe, why are you still around sucking air? Is it possible? There's a meaning for you. Here's the second response, I think, to what maybe I've heard this morning, what we've been talking about. And this one is just for those of us who are Christians. So if you're not a Christian, just, just, just pause for a moment. But Christians, we think of this and sometimes we listen, I already knew all that. I'm running after Jesus. And my question is, really? Are you? Really? Am I? Really? See, the difficult truth for some of us in this room is we never run. You talk about running, but you don't run. You've downloaded the app. You watch it on TV, but you don't run. You have the clothes. But when it comes to loving people as Jesus loves, you don't do that. I don't do that. When it comes to purity, you don't do it. Like, I don't do it. We watch it and talk about it. We read books. We go to retreats. We go to running meets. But we never run. We sit back and talk and criticize those who are actually trying to run, but we don't put a shoe to the pavement, ever. Following Jesus is more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's a faith based on fire insurance is never going to last you when you hit the wall. And some of us, we look like Jesus followers, but we aren't people of faith. Some of us look like Jesus followers because that's an important part of our personal ethos, but we aren't really living on mission. And people in your life that you actually respect, they know that. They see it. 
Just because you sit in the stands and read and sing, it doesn't make you a person of faith. Being a fan of Jesus is not the same thing as being a follower of Jesus. And friends, this is exactly where our church is right now. If you're just a fan, you've got all the time in the world to sit around and critique everything that happens. Not just for, you know, church, but your kids and family and news and everything. But if you're a follower, you're too busy trying to get over the wall and help other people over the wall. Trying to discover the mission God has for you. Here's a question I've been wrestling with this week. And since I'm wrestling with it, I want to make sure you wrestled with me. Is that fair to say? You know what I'm saying? I want you to have the same burden. When was the last time you exercised your faith? Legit. Don't give me some mamby-pamby answer. Legit. When's the last time you exercised your faith? In other words, you risked it all on faith. You took a step so significant that if Jesus didn't show up, you weren't going to make it. So let me ask you another question I've been thinking about this week. Do you think you want to get to the end of this life and you're laying in some hospital bed, ideally? (laughs) Not ideally that you're in a hospital bed, but, you know, for the illustration, it would be ideal. If you get hit by a bus, the illustration doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, like, we can have a conversation. That's important for the illustration. So let's say we get to the end of this life and, like, you're laying in a bed and someone like me or me comes into the hospital. And I use my best bedside manner, man, you toast, you're going down. You know, this is not going to be good. Talking just to Christians here. And we start looking back over your life. How are we going to feel if we don't see any moments where we fully exercised our faith? How do you think that's going to feel? Do you think there would be any sense of regret? Because there would be for me. If I look back to 2004, when God laid on our hearts to start this thing, to be able to say, you know, I thought about it, but I decided not to. And some of you did that just recently with the Hope Grows Here campaign. You exercised your faith, some of you for the first time. I've heard, loved hearing the stories. Man, I'm... I don't know how this is going to happen, Tom, but this is what I feel pledged to do. I want to do it. Had someone tell me in the lobby just before I got in here, I'm trying to sell a vehicle because of what I tried to do here. I said, you know, I get that. That's awesome. So if you're in the first response and you don't believe, I'm praying that God, you'll ask God to show you real faith, not based on what I've said, but just ask God to show you that. And if you're more in the second group, I would bet that Jesus has revealed an area to you already, just now. And and if he has, there's another conversation taking place in your mind, and it's characterized with the yeah buts. Well, if that's the situation, then you basically have to choose the one you're really going to have faith in. Does that make sense? I really want to have faith, but I also want this. Okay, well then, you've, you've chose where you're going to have faith. 
fair. I really want to have faith, and I like to go there, but I got this in family. Well, okay, but there's your faith. Hebrews 12, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's the example. So now let's consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people. Isn't that cool that it wasn't just a physical thing, but it was actually people that wounded Jesus? From sinful people, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you're hitting a wall, don't bail. You're not alone. If you're not hitting a wall, what kind of faith are you living? Is your faith ever fully expressed? Have you ever fully bought in that God has you? Lord, thank you so much for these incredible folks. And thank you for the high honor of being able to look at your word together. We are such a blessed people to live for such a time as this. Uh, a couple of responses, Lord. Some folks don't believe. And I understand that. I sat through countless services where I didn't believe as well. And Lord, I pray that maybe today something real would settle in for people that don't believe. Maybe they'd make the decision that they want to believe. And if that's you and you're listening to the sound of my voice, uh, again, there's no recipe, man. There, it's just you talking to God, just like you were talking to me, and you can ask God. God, teach me your faith. Teach me what it means to follow you. And he'll be faithful to that. He will. You engage, and he'll engage. For others in the room, Lord, uh, their responses have been kind of similar to what I've been going through. Where am I really expressing my faith at? And Lord, as a church, this is where we are. We want to be missional. We want to live missionally. And Lord, uh, for some of us in the room, uh, the idea of missional leading has been intimidating, and we've kind of put a stake in the ground and say, we're not going to do that here. Others, Lord, um, they're, they've taken a step of faith. And right now, they're kind of regretting some of that or questioning it. <laughs> And I pray you would raise up to be a people of faith. We'd be people that pursue you with every ounce of our being. We'll give you great praise for you giving us a reason to be. It's in your name. Amen.